Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling. All right, Luke, let's get right into it. I mean, 1-0, right? Not going to complain about that. But I got a feeling that Bucks fans probably wanted to see a little bit more of a decisive showing from the Super Bowl champions on the kickoff day, right? Like, Brady was fantastic, but he accepted 11 penalties for 106 yards, turned the ball over four times, gave up 451 yards of total offense. Uh, 1-0, but... How the hell did the Bucks win this game, Luke? I'm still trying to figure it out. Like this, the numbers tell us that we should they probably should have lost. Yeah, that was that was my favorite post game article I, I wrote. Was the, the headline was the Bucks did everything wrong and still beat the Cowboys? Yeah, so, it, it is remarkable. I mean, it's you know it is what it is. Obviously, one and zero is better than zero and one, so you'll take that part of it. And boy, is there plenty to clean up moving forward. It's uh, Bruce Arians. It's my favorite saying of his. That's not no risk it, no biscuit. Is you know you don't learn any more from almost winning than you do from winning. It's you know it's, there's no moral victory to that. The lessons are the same. You're just one and zero instead of zero and one. So obviously they'll take that. A lot to clean up on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, obviously Brady had two interceptions. Neither of them were really – one wasn't his fault. The other one was unconsequential uh, with the Hail Mary. But, man, Bucks got a tackle. Uh, Bucks got to stop killing themselves with the penalties. It's the same thing, you know, the first four or five weeks of last year, just beating themselves over and over and over again. And once they stopped doing that, they were unstoppable for large stretches of the season. So, I mean, that that – just shows you how talented this team is, is that they can commit all those penalties. They can lose the turnover battle four to one and still win the game because they're just that good at pretty much every position. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, some injury concerns with certain guys that are key to the, to the team. And, and that I think played into, you can't lose a starting corner when you're facing that wide receiver trio. It's just not, it's not going to go well for you. Thankfully they're not going to face that trio every single week nor are they going to face Dak Prescott every week who obviously balled out. But yeah, you know, it's, I think that game was extremely entertaining for everybody who doesn't root for the bucks. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, the I only thing the bucks took away from that was thank God we won at the end, but yeah, you know, a, a lot of good there, but definitely some things to clean up and what better way to do it than against the team who couldn't score a touchdown on the Eagles this week. You know, Brady was fantastic. I want to talk about him a little bit here. You know, you know, I'm a Brady guy, but I thought you are really. Dad, I hadn't noticed. Dak Prescott deserves a shout out. I mean, I thought, and I think we talked about it last week, Luke. I thought it would take him a quarter or two, just because that's human nature. It's going to take you a little bit of time to get back up to speed. You're coming off a gruesome ankle injury, slow start to the preseason. He had the shoulder. He didn't really have any reps. Didn't play at any of the preseason games. I thought Dak Prescott. It would take him some time. And from the first pass he threw from the you know shadow of his own end zone to Amari Cooper. He was nails. He was awesome. He didn't flinch against that Bucks pass rush. Vita Vea was the best player on the field, and he didn't flinch. Dak Prescott, uh, he's superhuman to me. I, I think, wow, what a player. I was so impressed by Dak Prescott. I wasn't impressed, though, Luke, with Mike McCarthy. And I think, you know, going back to Brady, I don't know how you give Brady a minute 24 left. Now, I know after that, the fumble, that gave the Cowboys the ball back, and I think it was at their own 10-yard line with around four minutes left. I think in in that moment, if you're the Cowboys, you have to run out the clock and try to kick the field goal in, in, to win the game. 
You can't give Brady any time. And the fact that they let Brady have a minute 24 to go back the other way and get the field goal. I mean, I just think what a mistake by Mike, Mike McCarthy. The situation comes up. It's fourth and six. The Bucks have one timeout left. They're at the Tampa Bay 30-yard line. Like I said, a minute 24 left, and you got the very shaky Greg Zerline. How are Cowboys fans feeling when Zerline came out for that 48-yard kick? And I just can't believe you take the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands with those receivers. How great Amari Cooper was in that game. Nobody could cover Amari Cooper. Uh, the fact that you take the ball away from uh, Dak, give it to the kicker, let him kick the field goal, and then Brady has a minute 20 to come down the field and win it on the other end. I just think it was the wrong decision by Mike McCarthy. How did the Bucks win the game? I think the Cowboys head coach helped. Hey, I mean, honestly, I feel like he's in a lose-lose situation there. Because Probably, of, yeah. Because of who he's playing against. Right? I mean, yeah. if you go out there and, and there's a number of different ways that situation could go wrong for you, but if the best-case scenario for you is making that field goal, like I said, it was a risk to put Zerline out there after the night he had, missed an extra point, missed a chip shot field goal, and, you know, again, in a two-point game, that that's the game right there. So you send that guy out there, yeah, he delivers – but man, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I, you feel like, and again, this is something that, that you're not having this conversation with maybe any other quarterback, right? Maybe Mahomes, right? A I mean, handful, yeah. a, only a small. It's a very elite echelon of players where you're even considering: Do I not try to kick a 47 field goal here? Do I try to go for it on fourth and six just to keep the ball away from that guy? Like, and again, this isn't this wasn't a tie game. They were losing at the at that point, right? So that factors into it. It's not like it's tied, and maybe we go to overtime if I miss, like. The fact that they're even having that conversation is hilarious and just speaks to the fear that Brady's mere presence puts into every decision uh, and decision-making process on the other side. But, yeah, I mean, if they go for that and and are able to run some more clock out, we're talking about a different game. But, man, I mean, I think the biggest moment in that ensuing drive was the fact that they had that false start pretty early on and were out of timeout, so they had to take that 10-second runoff. Like, that was the moment where I'm like, okay, maybe this doesn't happen. Maybe the Bucks will keep shooting themselves in the foot and they and Brady might not be able to overcome it. Silly me, you know, he's got something for everything, and even that didn't stop him from uh, from going down and, and making it happen. Well, it's funny because, like, at, the mo- at that moment, I thought not taking the 10-second run, I think there was, like, 48 seconds left, right? So, it was 54 to 44, I'm pretty sure. Like, that was the difference. Okay, so they were at 54. It would have been 44. So uh, that's a tough decision. Bruce was pretty uh, – he, he was pretty decisive. He used the timeout. But, you know, usually in that situation, the refs will run the – take the 10 seconds off, but then you can snap the ball right at the whistle, have the play ready and snap it. So you could really right. just snap that next play at 44. I thought they should have kept that timeout. But Brady still managed it, right, throwing those balls out of bounds. Still managed the situation. Like, it still yeah, worked I was going to say, they got, they got yeah. down there so fast, it was they had okay. to keep throwing the ball out of bounds to take the time off. Yeah. So Dak didn't have any time. No, nah, it was fine. It was just fine. And if you're Mike McCarthy giving it back to Brady, Luke, we saw it all day. Brady's going to look at the Cowboys' defense. Where's Trevon Diggs? Okay, he's still on Mike Evans. All right, who's Anthony Brown covering for the for the Cowboys? Right. Okay, Chris Godwin. I'm just going to go to Chris Godwin. Like, I, I don't know. Like, when you factor in, and I'm sure analytics and all these things come in, and I'm sure kicking the field goal, taking the lead, and making the Bucks come back and get it. Like, yeah. Like, I'm sure that was the right analytical play. If the Bucks are called for that offensive pass interference that was, you know, could have been was a bang bang play there with Godwin and I think it was Jordan Lewis of the Cowboys. If Godwin gets called for OPI in that play, the Bucks are are in a much tougher situation, right? They they're gonna have to probably gain twenty five, thirty yards in eighteen seconds. They probably still would do it though, because Brady's gonna find out who Anthony Brown is covering. He's gonna throw that way. So I don't know. I just thought the Cowboys putting their defense in that situation, wrong move. 
Yeah, I I think that again, that's probably a situation where you get to and you realize, oh, it's too late. Yep. It's too late. I could have done so many other things differently. If we had made those two kicks, if we had done this and done this, why am I in a situation now where my only two options are go for it on fourth and six instead of kicking a field goal we should make and take the lead or give the ball back to Brady with a minute and 24 and he had a timeout at that point. Like yep. When you realize those are your two choices, you've already lost. Yep, no doubt. So uh, a win, we'll take the win, but there's plenty to clean up, plenty to figure out, including in the secondary, Murphy bunting out, dislocated elbow, what are the Bucks going to do? Let's have Luke break that thing down coming up next. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. Welcome to week number two of the fantasy football season. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays to get your season rolling right along. Quarterback Joe Burrow at the Chicago Bears. Some people might be immediately turned off by the name the Chicago Bears with the association of a once strong, proud defense. Forget about that. Last week, Los Angeles Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford obliterated this defense and showed the blueprint of how to take advantage of the young cornerbacks who are actually a liability, especially against play-action passing. Take note, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor is a Sean McVay disciple, so you can be sure that he was watching how this one unfolded. Green Bay Packers running back A.J. Dillon versus the Detroit Lions. The Packers returned to Lambeau Field after getting smacked in the mouth by the New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville. While he saw only five touches in the blowout loss, Dillon generated 26 yards of offense. Detroit has been one of the worst defenses of running backs in some time. We saw that play out last week with San Francisco backups taking full advantage of the situation. Look for an angry Packers offense to get up big, which could mean a lot of Dillon running out the clock late in the game. Denver Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick at the Jacksonville Jaguars should be an interesting matchup for gamers to take a chance on. Wide receiver Jerry Judy has a high ankle sprain and he has been placed on short-term IR. Patrick caught all four of his targets last week for 39 yards and a touchdown. While I'm a little skeptical that he may have some competition for touches given the area of the field he tends to operate within, owners looking for a PPR flex, especially anyone who lost Judy, should give Patrick a look. Los Angeles Chargers Titan Jared Cook versus the Dallas Cowboys. While Cook has no Gronk, he still has a pretty good matchup ahead. Dallas made some changes at linebacker in the offseason, and sure, they've gotten faster, but it looks like they're still not completely on the same page. Additionally, Los Angeles has the weapons to spread out this defense, which could leave Cook with a lot of room to operate in the middle of the field. He also benefits if running back Austin Eckler once again isn't involved in the passing game. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please go check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522. 4700 in Colorado. This is tough, right? Sean Murphy Bunting is going to be out for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they put him on the IR, right? Yeah, yeah. so at least three games. Uh, Arians, it's still pretty, pretty ambiguous right now. Arians said uh, that it could be four weeks. It could be the rest of the season. We still don't know. Uh, he said over the next couple days, maybe a week, uh, they'll they'll understand more about the injury and the prognosis, but it's at least three games because that that injured reserve designation uh, means they're out for at least three games. Bruce said at least four, so yeah, at the very least, it looks like a month, and it, it hurts, man. Sean Murphy Bunting is a big part of this defense. 
Obviously, he's their number two corner, but you know defenses are at least in nickel, if not dime, most of the time nowadays. So that he's their slot corner in the nickel setup. Jamel Dean and, and Carlton Davis are on the outside in nickel sets. So you know this really it doesn't stress. If people keep talking about Jamel Dean, Jamel Dean's on the field all the time anyway because they're in nickel a lot. So you know teams that want to keep picking on him would have been able to do that anyway. I think what the the issue for the Bucks is. You know, who plays the nickel? Because you've got Ross Cockrell, who's the veteran. And this is honestly, you know, the, the, the flip side for the Bucks on the positive end is this is why they've drafted as many players as possible who can play as many spots as possible. That's why yeah. they drafted Antoine Winfield, who can play the nickel, who can play either safety spot. There are no free or strong safeties in this defense. They are always interchangeable. They can go single high. They can come down in the box. Most of, you know, a few of those guys can, can slide out and play the nickel in the slot. And that's why that's so important. Because um, it's hard to find those guys. You know, you've got to be there's this, it's the same thing with the slot wide receiver conversation. People think slot wide receiver, Oh, Wes Welker. So that means you got to be short. You got to be quick. You know, that's where all your tiny guys go. Everybody talks about Scotty Miller. If you listen to national analysts talk about Scotty Miller, they talk about him like he's a slot target. He never plays in the slot ever. <laughs> yeah. He's an off. He's an, he's an outside speed. Take the top off the defense wide receiver. Chris Goblin is the slot receiver in this offense. And uh, Larry Fitzgerald in Bruce Arians' offense, that's what he's flipped to. And he talked about the, t- the toughness of that transition back then because what do you have to do? You've got to go over the middle. You've got to block because you're closer to the, line, to, the, to the offensive line in the tight end spot. You've got to be able to block and be tough. So on the flip side for the defense, it's the same thing. You, in order to play slot nickel corner in this league, you have got to be tough. You have got to be able to hang in the box basically – and play the run and shed blocks when they're trying to run the ball in your direction. There's a lot you have to do that is not about being tiny and short and quick. Um, so, again, that's what the Bucks have to do. They have to be able to roll those guys down and be versatile. They can do that. But, man, Sean Murphy Bunting was a, a huge part of this defense, and it's definitely going to hurt. No doubt about it. And, you know, I'm not too worried about Dean. Like, you know, I know Dak Prescott and the Cowboys clearly went after him. Uh, but, you know, he hung in there. Uh, Murphy Bunting, you know, he was hanging in there, too. That's a tough offense. There's not going to be a lot of offenses like the Cowboys. I mean, that Dak it Prescott is, it was is, Ryan, and I take you back to Dean's rookie year in 2019. I was up in Seattle for the road game where, where he got just picked apart by, by, uh, by Russell Wilson and was trying to guard Tyler Lockett. It was a rough day for him as a rookie. He came back the following week, and I was at Raymond James Stadium for that game and the Arizona game against uh, Kyler Murray, and he had a game-winning interception in that game and had a really, really good game. And it was hilarious because when we went into the locker room after the game, all of the players were just laughing at us because we're all making a beeline for Jamel Dean's locker, and they're just like, no, 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 no. You don't get to talk to him this week. You talked so much crap about him last week. You don't get to talk to him now. I don't want to hear it, but – that's the kind of player Dean is. You know, he talked so much in the offseason after that rookie season about what he had learned from Todd Bowles in particular about what it takes mentally and, and in terms of your dedication to film work and preparation. He was very honest, very transparent, and, and a lot of players wouldn't be this, you know, really wouldn't be willing to admit how much they don't know, you know, but he was very clear with us. He was like, I did not understand the level of preparation it takes to to perform at such a high level at this at this level. Uh, and and he changed those habits. He was getting into the into the film room early and spending extra time with Todd Bowles, understanding this defense. And that was two years ago. So he's going to put the work in. I'm not worried about Dean either. Obviously, the physical tools are there. That's why they drafted him. He's he's big. He's fast. He's got long arms. The stiffness in his hips. That's the problem, right? Those big long corners. That's always what the what the issue is. Can they get in and out of their breaks? Can they flip? 
and hang with those quicker receivers. That's always going to be a struggle for those bigger guys, but I'm not worried about his skill set, and I'm not worried about him putting the work in. I know he's going to put the effort in to bounce back. Hey, real quick, Luke, on the other side of the football, Rojo fumbles, gets benched. Bruce comes out and says, I'm paraphrasing, wasn't mentally ready to come back in the game of this magnitude, so we went with Lenny. Oh, and oh, by the way, Brady needs to stop throwing the football anywhere near Fournette's head because it's going to bounce off his hands. He's got to put it right in the chest, Luke. Can't put, can't put it high or it's going to bounce off his hands and get intercepted every freaking time. Uh, but, you know, Rojo seemed to respond on Twitter to Bruce's comments. You know, I was wondering, oh, is he in the doghouse? Is there a falling out here? But now it sounds like Rojo is going to start against the Falcons. What's going on in the running back room? Yeah, so it's a weird one. And even Bruce's comments were kind of confusing where he's like, he's still the starter. Fournette started week one. He went out there first. I don't even know what he's talking about. But again, this is coming from the same guy who, we've mentioned this before, told us that he took a delay of game penalty on purpose (laughs) to back up a field goal five yards before he missed it. It's a glorious – he said it right to our faces. We made him repeat it. It was glorious. Um, But, you know, the backfield is weird. Fantasy, Fantasy owners hate it. Obviously, you hate a backfield where you never know what's going to happen. But what you do know is Ronald Jones is hella talented. I mean, he's got all the skills in the world. Uh, And, you know, go back to the Carolina game last year. He had that fumble. He bounced back from it. Bruce stuck with him. And obviously, the rest is history. He has a 98-yard touchdown, longest offensive play in Bucks history. And he he has the the game of his career there. So it's weird because this – this offensive backfield, every back they're relying on this year is, is on a one-year deal, basically. Rojo's on the last year of his rookie deal. Fournette is back on a one-year deal. Bernard's on a one-year deal. Keyshawn Vaughn's the only running back they have who's under contract for, for beyond this season. So, you know, this is an audition for all of them to stick around past this season, right? And I think Jones is, is in particular because he's the youngest and he's the guy they've invested the most in in terms of draft capital. He's a top 40 pick. Uh, and he's still only 24 years old. That's what's wild. He was 20 when they drafted him. So he's got four years in. He's still only 24. I really think they want him to be the guy. They want him to work. But, you know, whatever is happening in terms of, you know, is he was he not mentally ready to go back? It seems like he disagrees with that assessment, obviously. Yep. Um, whatever it is, I think, obviously, it's been buried for this week. They want to stick with him and, and see what they can give him against uh, Atlanta, and hopefully it, hopefully it works. Yeah, speaking of the Atlanta, it feels like, well, the Bucks are one to know, but it feels like they need a bounce back win here this week against the Falcons. And this is just the opponent, Luke, uh, to come up on the schedule. So let's dig into that matchup. Maybe pick the total, pick the spread. Uh, our friends from the Sportsbook Wire here have their play of the week, and then we'll be right back. This is the typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Flippin' Podcast here with my colleague, as always, Jeff Clark breaking down the Sunday night football matchup for week two between the Kansas City Chiefs and the host Baltimore Ravens. Ravens plus 160, home underdogs, Chiefs minus 200. Baltimore plus three and a half on the spread. Jeff, is that interesting to you coming off their overtime loss against the Raiders? Yeah, this is a by-low spot for the Ravens. It's getting through the key number of three. You got three in the hook. Lamar was terrible last week throwing the ball, but Cleveland was able to run the ball all over Casey's defense. I think Lamar and Baltimore does the same. I think he passes a little bit better against his weak Kansas City defense, and I think Baltimore's defense improves after their stinker against the Raiders and Derek Carr. I'll take the three and a half with the Ravens. How about you? Patrick Mahomes is 3-0 against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. 34-21 win in Baltimore last week. That's good enough for me. I'm siding with the Chiefs, minus 3.5. 
That was your Tipico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See Tipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Luke, we can we control the Falcons all we want, but the Falcons, they're never really a pushover, right? They played the Bucks pretty tough last year. Remember that game where Atlanta led 17 to nothing at halftime and the Bucks had to kind of storm back? And the second meeting, I think it was like 23-20 entering the fourth quarter before the Bucks put them, put them to bed in the fourth. So and I don't think the Falcons are great by any means. They certainly weren't great uh, this past weekend. <laughs> like That was uh, an ugly start to the year against the Eagles, to say the least. But, you know... Calvin Ridley, I know you're going to be excited to see Kyle Pitts, right? You know, on, on all the work you've done on Kyle Pitts. Absolutely. So I still feel like the Falcons are a sneaky little team against the Bucks, and they have to cover 12 and a half points on the typical sportsbook app. 12 and a half is the spread at home. That's a lot of points against a division rival, Luke. What's your, uh, what's your gut reaction to that spread? You think the Bucks can cover that? I mean, I definitely think they can. But, uh, you know, going <laughs> yeah. back to our conversations we had last week, you and I were we're riding high on the over, and uh, and we just barely got a, a, a win at all. A little so. too comfortable. Yeah, a little too comfortable. Yeah, and I tell you what, man, division games are a different beast. It's just it's really hard to go in and blow out your division opponents. And, again, don't don't underestimate the fact that the Bucks have the Rams on the road in week three and then New England in week four on the road. So, like, I mean, I, I know that if there's any team I trust to be mentally ready and not looking ahead, it's wherever number 12 is playing. But, man, I, I don't know. Are some of those younger players going to look ahead and see, man, we got a tough one against the Rams. we got a measuring stick game in, in the NFC. we got, you know, New England, the big reunion the week after that. I don't know if we go into this game mentally ready to do what they should do to the Falcons, which is absolutely pound them into dust uh, because there's a million reasons. That's what I'm, I'm going to write that later this week about all the different reasons why the Bucks should absolutely destroy the Falcons this week. But that's what makes you worried, right? It, yeah. it should happen. But there's a lot of reasons why the Bucks should never have been anywhere close to 31-29 against the Cowboys the other night. Uh, and, you know, it's, again, division opponents are just a different beast. Everything points toward the Bucks being very, very comfortable in this one, and that's what starts to worry me. It's a good point. Like, can the Bucks play like they did against the Cowboys and have all those penalties and the turnovers and, and beat the Falcons? Yeah, probably, right? They probably can, but not, not the Rams for sure. But, yeah, maybe the Falcons. I don't know. I just feel like... I don't love it. Like, I don't know if I want to bet it. Like, 12 and a half is a lot of points, but I do feel like the Bucks have a chance to hang 40 on them. I do. Yeah, uh, I think that's the thing. I, yeah. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable going over that, but if, again, we talked about, you know, the Brady effect and the Brady impact on the way they do business, Brady's pissed. <laughs> I no mean, doubt. obviously, no the doubt. turnovers and the, and the penalties, you know he is going to have them ready to go out and drop 40. Not just that, but have a defense that, it's going to take full advantage of maybe the worst offensive line in the NFL. It's really, really bad in Atlanta. And the Bucs have maybe the best defensive line in the league, obviously. I mean, again, very important to remember, both of those Falcons games, no Vita Vea. So he was out for both of those games as Good well. Luck, Atlanta. Good luck. Definitely helps. So they'll have to face him this time around. But listen, and, and one note we got from practice, uh, Carmen Vitale, who's the team writer for the Bucs, she let us know that – Antoine Winfield was talking about um, the Levante David kind of setting the tone for practice on Wednesday. He said after one play, they were just, you know, slow and sluggish and not feeling it. He said Levante shut it down right then after one play 
and got everybody up and huddled up and and gave them the business about what it, you know, what they needed to do and how they needed to step up and take things to another level. So, you know, in terms of mentally, mentally ready, I think this team is going to do what it takes uh, to, to do what they're capable of against the Falcons. And that's make fantasy owners very happy. And anybody who takes the over very happy. They're definitely capable, you know, and it's just like, this is why it's so tough to repeat though. It's just like that mental thing. You, you already know you're better than everybody, but now you gotta you gotta mentally reset. You gotta and execute, that's, man. That's it doesn't matter. You gotta get yeah. the job done. Yeah, and I don't think they fully reset their in week one against the Cowboys. And yeah, you mentioned the total at fifty one and a half. It's kind of holding there, and I think it's not. It has nothing to do with the Bucks. I think it's what you were just talking about, like Vita Vea, that pass rush uh, against yeah, the Bucks. Yeah, the Falcons could score a touchdown on the Eagles. What makes you think right. they're scoring on the Bucks? So even if the Bucks score forty five, like. Can the Falcons score enough to get the uh, the over fifty one and a half? I mean, I do. I, I feel like I want to bet the over, but like I'm a little worried the Falcons aren't going to score. Uh, they probably will, right? I mean, we're banged up in the secondary here in Tampa, so right. Every team should be better in week two, right? It, you know, yeah. you've whatever you got out in week one, you you having a chance to improve. Both teams should be better, so that means yeah, sure. I think the Falcons do score a touchdown in this game. Maybe they get a field goal or two. I think that's about it. And I think the Bucks, who put 31 up in a game they sucked for a lot of, <laughs> they can put more than that. So uh, that's why I probably still feel comfortable with the over in, on the total points. Uh, real quick before we sign off here, I think I speak for Luke when I say, if you're hanging on to the podcast this long, uh, we appreciate the hell out of you. And, you know, I think people are finding our podcast in all kinds of different ways, Luke, because we, you know, you could find it on the Bucks wire and you could probably find it on your desktop. Uh, but, you know, I just want to let people know wherever you get your podcast, you can go on there, search for the Bucks Wire podcast, subscribe, leave us a review, tell your friends, help us spread the word. But we appreciate our listeners uh, very much. You want to you want to say bye to the people, Luke? Hey, we love it, man. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, we're going to keep keep talking about it if you want us to. <laughs> This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.